thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Good morning. We are in Mark 11 this morning. If you want to take a minute to turn there, it will also be on the screen. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig, in, a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And, you, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning, and what a great passage. And uh, are you ready for this? It's uh, not my message. You know, I'm not talking about that. But uh, are you ready to go through the last week of the life of Jesus? It's, uh, sometimes we get to this time of the year and we're like, yeah, Easter's coming. Woohoo! Well, Easter was the, was the final act, right? Easter was the, Easter was the resurrection. There's so, I mean, everything happened before that. And the week leading up to the death and resurrection of Christ is so important. 
He did so much teaching. He demonstrated so much. There were so many challenges to his disciples and those that would follow him. There were were so much. And so we're going to take a look at it. But the challenge is it's going to take us two weeks to take a look at that. But we're not just two Sundays. We're going to look at it on uh, two Sundays and two Wednesdays and Good Friday. And then we'll be together on Easter. And I want to challenge you. Okay? And I know we have a lot going on in our lives. We do. I understand that. I do. I'm with you. Believe me, I'm with you a lot. I want to challenge you. Make these next two Wednesdays a priority to be here together. Um, it used to be that we would go to church and it'd be Sunday and Wednesday and this day and that day. And life's gotten a little different and that's okay. Make these two next Wednesdays a priority. And uh, the reason why I say that is this. We're going to give you scripture at the end of each. If you pull out your outline, there's scripture on the bottom. And it's the, what you can read this week and it'll take you through all the different gospels. It'll take you through Wednesday of the final week of Jesus. And you'll be able to read it and dive into it and study it and chew it and meditate on it and just glean from what the Lord wants us to know about who he is and what he's doing. And suddenly, Good Friday and Easter will open up to you like it's never opened up to you before. It'll have this, this, it'll have this pull on you and this understanding like you've never seen before. You know, Gretchen brought it up. What a great phrase she said. She said, I, I had the words, but I needed a different picture. My, my, the words were right, but my picture was wrong. And I think sometimes we fail to remember the, the right picture we're supposed to have of the, res, of, of the crucifixion and the resurrection and, and all that led up to it. And we get ideas or thoughts that we're not even 100%, where they, 100% sure where they came from. They're just part of our thinking now. So we're going to go and unpack all those and start to have the right view and the right understanding and a fresh picture. And we're going to make sure that a picture is applied to our lives and we're asking great questions of ourselves. So we're going to unpack Sunday and Monday today. And not in its entirety, we can't. And then on Wednesday, we're going to unpack and point to Tuesday. Tuesday, we've given it Wednesday for 30 minutes. That's it, Thursday, 30 minutes, okay? It is the longest part of the week. Jesus does more teaching at that time than he does in the whole rest of the week. So we're just going to hit some important parts. So us reading it is critical and important. So I hope you'll come this Tuesday. And then we're going to spend the second half praying because it's the time that we gather to pray. And then we're back on Sunday and and on on the 14th. And we're going to go through Thursday of the week of Jesus, right? I'm giving you all different days. Ah, Sunday, Thursday. And we'll be going through that day. And then we're going to meet on uh, Wednesday. And we're going to go through a little bit more of Thursday. And then we're going to be together on Good Friday, and yep, you, you got it. We're going through Friday. And then we're going to be together on Easter, and we are going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the resurrection that gives us life and freedom. So that's what's ahead of us. I hope you'll join. I hope you'll dive into it. I hope, you just, hope this Easter is like none other that you have ever had. And I hope your hearts are just open wide, and God does a tremendous work in your lives. I really do. So here's what we want to do. Let me just dive into it today. We want to prepare our hearts and minds to remember the death and to celebrate his resurrection. We will see that Jesus tells us that he will die. He warns us that the end is coming. He shows us and leads us directly to the cross and all along giving these final instructions and teaching us. Giving us that which we're going to need to know because those three days, those three, they'll they'll be long. 
from his death. The disciples wondered and the people wondered, was this a, was this a failure? What was this? What just happened? And they had to go back to his teachings. They had to remember that week. They had to remember the time they spent with him. They had to remember his declarations. They had to remember the picture that he gave them day after day. Part of that picture we're going to look at today. They had to remember that because those were some, those were some long days. And then the resurrection came. Like I said, not only did the disciples sit there and wonder in those three days what happened, still today we tend to think that, that this idea of his crucifixion kind of suddenly came up on him or that his trial was suddenly there, that, that he had mistakenly entered into Jerusalem on a really crummy time if you're going to try to hide out. There was over two million people there at that time. And, but he mistakenly enters Jerusalem and he suddenly gets thrown up before Pilate and he's like, whoa, hey, what's going on? Ow! None of that was the case. There was no mistake here. There was no uh, uh, haphazardness to this. There was no, hey, uh, this sort of just happened or, whoo, scratch my head, never saw that coming. No, this was planned. This was orchestrated. This was executed to, the, to perfection. Why? Because he loves us. And for those we love, we plan. And for those we love, we care for. And for those we love, nothing will stop us. Nothing will stop us from taking care of them for those that we love. And Jesus was on a mission on this last week, a mission that started all the way back in the garden, a mission that started from the first sin. He was on a mission to take care of the penalty of that sin, to take care and bring us back into a right relationship with the Heavenly Father, to make us united with Yahweh himself. He was on a mission. And we're in the last week of that mission. Wasn't the first time, the reason why we know it wasn't a surprise, he had predicted his death and resurrection three times. We find it in Mark 8, Mark 9, and we find it in the last and third one in Mark 10. Saturday before Sunday in the triumphal entry. Saturday before Sunday when he entered into Jerusalem, he said what was going to take place. There's no mistakes here. There's none at all. Listen to what he said in uh, Mark 10, starting in verse 32. On their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem. And that wouldn't have been a surprise. They knew they were going. It was Passover. They were all headed there. And he said, And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Was this a prophetic statement? Absolutely. Was this saying what was about to happen? Absolutely. Was it a declaration? Yes. And it was an announcement that they were supposed to understand. And they were supposed to know what was ahead of them. But Mark tells the story just a little bit differently. And I want you to notice something there. Look back to verse 32. It says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. That's different. Most times when we see Jesus, he's in the midst of the crowd. His disciples are surrounding him. Not this time. He's in front. You've got to remember, his whole ministry, Jesus kind of tried to stay in the background, kind of stay. Uh, I mean, it, people flocked him, and they wanted healing and all sorts of things. Remember what he would always say? Go and don't tell anybody. You know, go and, go and don't sin anymore. And also, just keep this to yourself. Right? Just, he would send them away. He wasn't, he wasn't running around going, hey, I'm the Messiah! Woo! He wasn't doing that. He was 
wasn't doing it. It would often leave as soon as he got done teaching. It would often go away to a, a secret place. Not secret as in nobody knew it, but a, a place where he could pray and spend time with the Father. He's heading to Jerusalem. Two million plus people are gathered there. And he's not tucked in with his disciples. He is leading the way. He is demonstrating even in that moment that he is the king heading into his city. He is demonstrating even in that moment the way that he leads, that he is on a kingly march. He is heading in for the kingly procession. He is headed in for the victory parade. He is heading to Jerusalem, leading the way of his followers. He is letting them know. He is painting them a picture by every action that he's taking. He's showing them what is ahead. And he is declaring that it is time. It is time. Remember how many times he said the time has not yet come? Oh, the time has come. It is now. No accidents. No surprises. He's not getting caught off guard. It's not a plan gone awry. This is exactly what was going to happen. And it's as if he pulls out of the crowd of people that are following him. There's this large crowd. Remember, he had just... Uh, uh, he, he had just healed Bartimaeus. He had had some other healings, some other teachings. He just he'd done some amazing things, and these crowds were all over the place. And it's as if he pulled his disciples aside, as if, because it doesn't say this in there, right? But it's as if he pulled his disciples aside. He said, boys, it's going to get rough. It's going to get a little crazy. What's ahead of us is going to... Don't lose your focus. Keep your eyes set on me. And we got a job to do. And don't be afraid. Because they are going to take my life. Don't be afraid. Because I will rise from the dead. Don't be afraid. It's as if that was said. See, as we said a minute ago, the situation in Jerusalem was there was going to be over 2 million people there. We don't know the exact number, but there's a, a guess and, and some you know, scholarly uh, thoughts about that. But well, well over 2 million people were probably in the city at this time. They were there to celebrate the Passover. If you remember the Passover celebration, what it celebrated is it celebrated when, uh, uh, when Israel was released from captivity to, uh, to Pharaoh and Egypt. They were slaves. And... When Moses came in there and said, hey, it's, it's time. You're going, to let my, you're going to let my people go. We're going to take them out of here. They're no longer going to be your slaves. The Lord has come for them. Eh, Pharaoh said, yeah, you're nuts. And so there was a series of plagues that the Lord brought upon Egypt to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his authority. And each one of those plagues brought no harm to the people of God, brought no harm to the people of Israel, none. And then there was the last plague. And that plague would cost the life of the firstborn. And it would spread throughout Egypt. The angel of death would come and take the life of the firstborn. Unless you were one of God's people. But then there was going to be an action. It wasn't just going to miss them. They would have to have an action. And they were to take a lamb. And they were to sacrifice that lamb. And they were to put blood over their doorpost. That blood would cover their home. And death would not come to their home. And as death passed over, no one who covered their home in the blood of the lamb lost their life. 
death was not in their home. It had passed them by. And so all of Israel shows up to celebrate this amazing day. And they did it year after year after year because it was commanded in scriptures that they would celebrate, that they would remember God's great provision. They'd remember God's great provision and sacrifice and blood covering on their behalf. And they would show up there. But there was something else that would happen. Remember that Israel was now being, uh, they were now uh, um, <clears throat> uh, held captive or, or they were uh, ruled over, sorry, by Rome, right? They, become, they had become a providence of Rome. So it was uh, Roman rulers that were ro ruling over Jerusalem. And so during that time, what would happen is that zealots and extreme Jews would try to stir up the crowd, especially during times like Passover. Passover. And they would stir up the crowd and they would say to the crowd, uh, let's turn, let's revolt against Rome. Look at all of us here. Let's revolt against Rome. They don't have the whole army here. Everybody's not here. Let's turn this thing over and take, our, take it back for the Lord. Oh, man. That's what would be taking place there. And so what would happen was that uh, Pilate would have to make his way back in to Jerusalem to make sure that there, the rebellion wasn't there. We'll get to that in just one second. So that's what they were about to walk into. And Jesus knew that they wanted him to be the political king, the great warrior king. He knew that they were going to try to convince him talk to him, whatever it would be, that their expectation would be that he would overthrow the Roman government. And so in saying what he said, he let them know exactly what he was there to do. It wasn't a mistake. He was there to die. Not that they would be freed from Roman authority, but that they would be freed from the bondage of sin. That they'd be freed from uh, an absence of God in their life. That they would be freed from the penalty that would cause death throughout eternity. That's what he cared about. That's why he came in great love. That was the freedom he came to bring. And he made sure they knew that no matter what was about to be stirred up, no matter what other picture was trying to be told. There was no other outcome. He was on his triumphal march, not to overthrow a government or politicians, but to overthrow sin and death, and the penalty that's upon every person. This is no accident. Jesus was purposed in every one of his steps. Listen to how Max Lucado put it. Forget any suggestion that Jesus was trapped. Erase any theory that Jesus made a miscalculation. Ignore any speculation that the cross was a last-ditch attempt to salvage a dying mission. For if these words tell us anything, they tell us that Jesus died on purpose. No surprise, no hesitation, no faltering. You can tell a lot by the way a person, about a person by the way he dies. And the way Jesus marched to his death leaves no doubt that he had come to earth for this very moment. Read the words of Peter from the book of Acts. Jesus was given to you. And with the help of those who don't know the law, you put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But this was God's plan, which he had made long ago. He knew all of this would happen. No, the journey to Jerusalem didn't begin at Jericho. A short 12 miles outside of Jerusalem didn't begin there. 
It didn't begin in Galilee, and it didn't begin in Nazareth. It didn't even begin in Bethlehem. The journey to the cross begun long ago, as the echo of the crunching fruit was still sounding in the garden. Jesus was leaving for Calvary. He was on a mission to save us. And he came as the conquering king, Jesus our king. But not what everybody thought. Let's go back and read that again. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are doing this, say the Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. They went off, found a colt outside the street, tied in the doorway. As they untied it, some people asked, why are you doing, what, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered, Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it and sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches. They had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. A donkey? A donkey. Really? You know, you might think that at some moment a donkey was uh, maybe some prized or some valued or some, uh, uh, some really, really elite, kingly, majestic animal. It wasn't. It was just a donkey. A donkey's always been a donkey. And Jesus said, go get the donkey. Not just any donkey, but a colt. A baby donkey. Go get one of them. Wow. What's the deal with that? It's a, it's a beast of burden is what it is. It's a servant animal. What? Where are you getting that? Jesus, the king of kings, he's declaring he's the king. He deserves, he deserves the biggest horse ever. He deserves one of those thoroughbreds. How do you measure it? By hands? It better have a lot of hands. I mean, he deserves this amazing, majestic animal to come on in. And he said, go get that donkey. Go get that colt. But why? Well, one, because it was fulfilling prophecy. Remember Zechariah 9? It says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king has come to you righteous and victorious. Lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses of Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. He came to bring peace between people and God. He came not with a war horse, but riding on a donkey. <clears throat> but it was more. Remember I told you that Pilate would have to come to town? Well, Pilate was the governor that Caesar put in place to make sure that Jerusalem didn't get all upended and crazy and rowdy. Also to collect taxes and to make sure that, <coughs> excuse me, that, that Caesar was worshipped. Those were all of his jobs. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in Caesarea, out by the ocean, out by the sea. That's where all governors should live, right? Out by the sea. Don't live in the city. It gets messy there. And so he would have to come in on these festivals and these occasions. Why? To make sure they knew who was in charge. Why? Because they would stir people up. Why? 
because one day somebody like Jesus might come to town. And all the people would say, there he is. There's the Messiah, the King of Kings. <coughs> so he too would march in. And he would come from the west because that's where the, the water was. And he would enter into the city from the west side. And he would come on a great horse. He would come with his legion around him. And he would come with great pomp and circumstance. And he would come in in a royal march, making sure that everyone, all two plus million people knew who was really in charge, who was really had the authority, that they were the oppressed people, and Rome was the king. And he would walk in, or he would ride in, and they would be yelling, and they'd be screaming, and they'd be singing songs to him. And then he would make his way. He would make his way to the temple. And as he made his way to the temple, he would enter into the temple. Hey, you know what? You can worship whoever you want to worship. You can make sacrifices all you want to. But just so you know, Rome's the Lord of this temple too. It's all ours. Stay in your place. Now contrast that. Contrast that. Jesus comes in. On the east side, either right at the same time or close to the same time, but definitely in the same day, they ride in. And Jesus doesn't come in on this great horse, the war horse. He doesn't come in like that at all. He comes in on a donkey, a beast of burden, a servant to his people. Not the one that lords over and holds down and oppresses, but the one that gives life and gives freedom, the one that... that, that makes relationships possible with the living God. He walks in on a servant animal because he is a servant king because he is a sacrificial savior. And he comes in. <coughs> and make no mistake, they're singing. They're singing. And what are they singing? We just sang the song. We're singing, Hosanna. Hosanna. Right, they're singing. Woo, all over the place. But you got to understand, they've been singing this all the time. Right? They'd be walking around. That's a common song because it comes from Psalm 118. Hosanna. I don't sing as good as you, Rebecca, but I can sing, right? And you're going to be walking around singing, right, Kevin? Hosanna. That's what we're going to be doing on that week because we're going to sing Psalm 113 all the way through Psalm 118. Why? Because it's the, it's the, the, the songs of praise. It's the, songs of, the psalms of praise to God for what he's done and his great victories. And what does Hosanna mean? Save us. And what did God do when he freed the people from Egypt? He saved them. And what did that song come to be known as? The psalm and the song that would declare the coming Messiah. Why? Because he would come to save them. And so all of a sudden, when they took these palm branches, what is the deal with that, palm branches? They're in the middle of the desert. It's not Hawaii or someplace like that. What's the deal? They took branches. They took anything which was the sign a victory. It was the sign of a glorious victory, a battle that was won. And as Jesus came in riding on this donkey, singing Hosanna, they were declaring what? That he was the Messiah? Because you don't sing Hosanna to a person, you sing it to the Lord on high. So when they sung it over him, what were they doing? Declaring that he was the Messiah coming in, declaring that he was the one that was going to save him. Hosanna, save us. And when they took those branches, Get the image of the little children walking in, going like this in church. Get rid of that image. Get rid of it. It's the wrong picture. Here's the picture. 
They were sitting there, and they were waving these branches before him in worship and adoration of the great king. And here's what they were saying. 160 years ago, the Maccabee revolt happened, and we were under the oppression of the Greeks. And when the revolt happened, we took back we took back Jerusalem, and we took back the temple, and we took back our worship, and we began to worship God again. And now we are declaring the victory that you are going to bring again. As you enter in Jerusalem, go defeat the Romans. Go give us our city back just the way it happened 160 years ago. We wave these branches, and this is what our expectation is of you, O great king. This is our expectation of you, even though Jesus had declared time and time again why he was here, how he would die, what his sacrifice would mean. No, 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 no. No, we agree you're the king, but you're here to free us from Rome. Is Jesus your king? And if he is, have you put him in a box? And have you said, you're my king if you live according to this expectation and this expectation? And this is how I expect you to be in my life? This is how I ex what I expect you to do in my life? This is how I expect you to lead my life? This is what I expect out of you, oh great king. So yeah, you have my life. But now, oh great king, act this way. I can tell you this right now. Jesus is not a very compliant Savior. He will not comply to our wishes. He will not make himself into our image. From before time began, this was his plan. And in this day, it's still his plan. And as his people, you are still his people according to his plan. We must conform ourselves to the great king and his plan. We must surrender our lives to the king and his plan. He needs to be the king on his terms in our life. He needs to be the great king who has all authority in our lives. He needs to be the king that we will surrender and worship and say Hosanna. And because you saved us, because you loved us, I follow you, king. What do you have for my life? If we let him be the king of his life on his terms, what would change in our lives? If we let him be the king of our lives on his terms, how might we be used in people's lives? If we let him be the king on his terms, what might change in terms of our influence or our, or our, our, our purposes? What might change in terms of our impact in this world for the great kingdom of God? What might change in our families? What might change as a father? What might change as a husband? What might change as a mother, as a, as a wife? What might change as an employee or an employer? What might change if I follow the great king and his plans instead of letting him be made into the image of my plans? As Jesus rode in, he came in. He did what all great kings of Israel did. He too went to the temple. All the kings did after their battles, all the kings did would show up there and they would bring sacrifices and they would bring thank, 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 thankful, jeez, I can't talk today, thanksgiving offerings to the Father. They would uh, pray for blessing over the people. 
they would bring all that before God in the temple. They would call the nation to, to pray. They would call the nation to worship. They would call the nation to sacrifice. And so Jesus, the king of all kings, makes his way in. And he makes his way to the temple just like Pilate did. And now he makes his way to the temple riding on a donkey, a servant king. But I want you to remember what it said. Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went home to Bethany with the 12. He got there. It was late. He looked around. It wasn't the right moment for him to teach, but he walked in. And notice who he left with. Crowds followed him, but notice who he left with, the 12. When we make Christ into our image, when he's the king according to our box and our prescribed way that he has to act, we get hurt, we turn our back, our worship stops, we, we fail to follow him because he doesn't live up to how we thought. Uh-uh. Our picture needs to be adjusted. It always needs to be according to who he is and what he wants. And so he takes his 12 and they head back out of the city. And that brings a close to Sunday. Brings a close to Sunday. We find we wake up Monday morning. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find, to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not season. It was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. What's happening here? He's walking. He's hungry. Right. Is he just having a, a, a hangry episode? Is he just like, yeah, I tried to get some food and it wasn't there. Curse you, fig tree. Is that what's happening here? Is he, just, is he just losing his mind? Is the pressure too much? Is it all just, is it all, ah, ah, you know, did the disciples have to go up, hey, Jesus, let's get this thing together. You're about to be watched, okay? You can't be acting like this. No, none of that's happening. Remember, everything is purposeful. Everything is meaningful. He's declaring something with every one of his actions. Every picture is a picture that we need to embrace and see for ourselves. He walked up to a fig tree, and it was not time for the fig tree to have figs, and yet it had leaves. It was in bloom. So he walked up to this tree that was supposed to have fruit. It looked as if it would have fruit. It was supposed to have fruit. Jesus could have made it have fruit that was dripping off every branch. I mean, it wasn't about the food. He walked up to it, and it was supposed to have fruit. It was supposed to have figs, and it didn't. And so what did he do? He cursed it. Why? Because it had an outward appearance that said, I am beneficial. It had an outward appearance that said, I care. It had an outward appearance that said, I will give to you. It had an outward appearance that said, I will benefit you. It had an outward appearance. And yet, when he got there, there was no fruit. When he got there, the inside didn't match. It didn't match. They had the appearance of, but the reality was other. It had the appearance of, but the reality was other. The fig tree had leaves, but no fruit. We are to be the appearance of and the reality the same. The appearance of and the reality the same. We don't get to show up to church on Sundays or a life group on Tuesdays or a Bible study on Saturdays and go, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. 
We love you. I give my life to you. You are my God. And then inside we're saying, as long as you're the king that I want you to be, when I want you to be it, and I, I don't really want to follow you in this moment or that moment. Really, my heart is, is for me, and really my great worship of my life is for myself, not really for you. And then we offer, we offer ourselves sometimes. We offer some good things to other people, but what we offer has no life to it. What we offer does not have fruit to it, that we have this appearance of righteousness and holiness, and yet it's not the same. Jesus was making incredibly bold statements. They were meant to make his disciples uncomfortable. They were meant to declare who he was. They were meant to tell everyone what was going on. And what he was doing right then and there is he was declaring that he is the judge. He is the judge. He will judge our hearts. He will judge our actions. He will judge the fruit of our life. He is the judge. Church, beloved, sons and daughters of God. Have you sat with the king and said, I'm your servant? Reveal to me where I'm not adding up. Reveal to me where sin has crept into my life. Reveal to me where I'm living for myself and not for you. Great judge, not how do I compare to my neighbor. Not do I live a little bit better than so-and-so. Great judge. Merciful and gracious judge, reveal to me where my life does not line up with you. Reveal to me where I act one way, but I'm truly a different way. Reveal to me. He is the great judge, and he will judge all. And then from there, we see him making his way to Jerusalem. To Actually, upon reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables, the money changers, and the benches of those selling doves. He would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, notice he didn't just have a, an angry outburst. He brought discipline, and then he taught. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. They feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and the disciples went out of the city. So he goes back to the temple. He arrives there. And what he sees is not what it's supposed to be. The temple was an amazing place. It was rebuilt by Herod. It had been destroyed and it was rebuilt, but it was not rebuilt. It was, <laughs> it was not rebuilt to honor God. It was rebuilt to bring glory to Herod and the Romans. It wasn't rebuilt to be a place of prayer and worship. It was built to be one of the wonders, one of the architectural wonders of the time. It used to be that it was a place that every piece of the temple, every part of the temple, every wall, every curtain, every detail, every rock, every stone had purpose to glorify God. And this one had the purpose to glorify men. Oh, it was trying to be taken back by the, the priest and the, and the leaders. It was, there, was, there was effort to make it about Yahweh and about God. There was effort, sure. But when they got it, when Jesus, it wasn't the first time in the temple, he'd been in the temple every day, but now it was time to declare, now it was time to step into his role, now it was time to step in that he was the high priest, not the high priest that men had appointed because God had not appointed them. He was the high priest that was appointed to this time. 
And he walked into the temple and he said, listen, we got this thing backwards. We're not helping people. This is supposed to be a place that helps people and we're not helping people. You're cheating people. By bringing up the very definition and description of a dove, a dove is the, is the sacrifice that went to the most impoverished people. You see, because they came from everywhere, they couldn't bring the animals with them. So they had to go there and they would buy animals. And that meant that they were either, they were either raising the prices for the dove or they were given uh, these doves, uh, uh, maybe, maybe they were um, deformed or defected or, or whatever the situation was. It's not, we don't have great clarity, but by bringing that up, he was saying that this, who's being hurt right now? The most impoverished people, the ones who can't defend themselves. The ones that just came to worship the great king and offer their sacrifice, and you are taking advantage of them. And this money changer deal, there had to be money changers because you had to pay with your shekels in the temple, not with the Roman coins. So you'd bring your Roman coins, you'd exchange it for shekels. But what they were doing is they were jacking up the prices. They were jacking it up. Oh, you want us to exchange it? Well, you're going to have to pay this much and that much. They were making money. And then it was becoming a place of position and authority and, and of wealth for the high priest and the, and the priest of the temple. It was everything that was not supposed to be. Remember what it appears to be it's supposed to be? Well, the temple appeared to be a place of worship to glorify God, but it wasn't. It was supposed to be, Jesus said, a, a place of prayer for who? For the nations, but it wasn't. And as he walked into the high priest, as the high priest, he took possession of his temple. He took possession of his place of worship. And he said, now let me show you what love is. Let me show you what sacrifice is. Let me show you what it means to worship. And he would bring to the altar in just a couple days the one sacrifice that would never have to be repeated. The blood that would spill over all people for all time. Or I should say it would be available for all people for all time. His own blood. He would be the sacrifice. He would lay his life down on the altar. He would demonstrate as the high priest what the temple was supposed to be about. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, as the Holy Spirit has been given to us, we become the temple of God. Each one of us individually has the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We become the temple of God. Collectively, we become the temple of God. And he is the high priest. And he has declared what will happen in the temple, that we will be a sacrificial people. That we will be a people that give of ourselves for the benefit of others. That we will be a people that give of ourselves so that others might live. We are the temple of God. And he is the high priest. In every part of our life, remember, every wall, every curtain, every stone is meant to glorify God. What it appears to be needs to be the same. We are the temple. We need to be a sacrificial people that every part of our life glorifies God. And we're all supposed to be what? People that pray for the nations. 
of people that love others so intensely and so much that we commit ourselves to prayer, that we pray all the time like we talked about last week. We pray without ceasing. We pray unending prayers. We pray air. We, we pray for the people around us that don't know the king of all kings, haven't been set free, don't know the righteous judge because they will face him at some day. Let us introduce them to him with grace and mercy. And they don't know the priest that sacrificed everything on their behalf. We are to be a prayerful people that loves people so much that we sacrifice our time, our days, our nights, our energy to pray for those that don't know, to pray for the nations, to pray for the fellow saints, to be in prayer, communing with our God. Because Christ sacrificed himself, tearing the curtain of the Holy of Holies where nobody could pass. And as that curtain was teared, we now go with great boldness before the throne. He gave his life so that we could pray. He gave his life so that we could pray with one another. He gave his life so that we could come before him and fight on behalf of those who don't know him. Is he your king? Is he your judge? Is he your high priest? Are you his temple? Last week we gave you these. We gave you these. And I realized that after service was over, we went and ate some fried chicken. That was really important. I know, we had to get there. I know, I'm not being sarcastic. Literally, we had to get there. We ran out of chicken. But I asked you to write down names of people that you loved, that you cared for, that need to know Christ. I asked you to write it down. You know, I got it. Just write it down somewhere, okay? It doesn't have to be on this card. I asked you to write it down. And I said, hey, out there on the prayer wall, will you put it there so all the saints can pray throughout these next two weeks, can pray? And 10 of them ended up on the wall, eh, roughly. And I think we just got a little busy. Maybe we forgot. So I'm going to ask you, head out to the bagel table. I don't care if there's a little bit of a line. We can wait a little bit. Grab a card. Write a name down. Stick it up on the wall. And let's pray. Like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. Great, great, no problem. No problem at all. I got another plan for you. I'm all full of plans. Grab this thing right here. Write down a couple names before you leave. Put it in your Bible. Stick it in your pocket. Put it on your dashboard. Pray. Pray. Be a people of prayer. Pray. Because that's what we've been called to do. We're the temple. Jesus made a declaration. And then he died for it. Who needs to know the message? Let's fill this place up on Easter. Let's fill other churches up. Let's fill Cornerstone up and Destiny up. And let's fill uh, Leesburg Methodist up. Let's fill Crossroads up. Let's fill up every church in this entire county that they can hear the message fully declared. The same message that you've been teaching them. The same message that you've been showing them. The same thing that you've been trying to describe to him about the king and about the priest and about the judge. Let's tell them. And then they went home. And Wednesday... We'll dive into Tuesday. We'll do it, okay? But our job is to leave here praying, asking the hard questions of Jesus to convict us, the Holy Spirit to convict us, asking the hard questions, is he really our king, made in his image, the rightful king, or is he made into our image? Lord, where do you need to judge my heart? And how do I sacrifice like you, the high priest? You save me to be like you.
Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this amazing people. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you so much, Lord. We love you. You are our king. You are our judge. And you are our priest. And we follow you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Have an amazing week. Be blessed.